Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In Louisiana, the Baton Rouge Police Department comes under fire as a torture house is uncovered during a lawsuit. In D.C., a 16-year-old is killed over sweet and sour sauce. And in North Carolina, a woman is arrested for faking her own death. These stories and more are coming at you today, Friday, September 1st, on Real Life Real Crime Daily, and I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Happy September, everyone. What up, what up, boys? Yeah, happy September. And guess what? That means go Tigers. G-E-A-U-X right. Tigers. That's right. And thank you, Jesus, for letting me see the beginning of another football season. And Amen. That means football for right. sure. It also, did you know that September is the most popular month for births? Yes. Really? I don't think I have any kids that have that I know of. So do you know why that is, Michael, would be the question, because I do. Well, you got to count back nine months. I know what the research online says. Uh, I don't know what your theory is going to be. My theory is going to be nine months. I always go back, because I do birthdays, all the Mm -hmm. birthdays on Facebook every day. So I go count back nine months and try to see what happened nine Mm -hmm. months. It's called Christmas sex, Michael. Or or January January sex. New Year's Eve sex. It could be New Year's Eve sex. But a lot of times it's, you got me that new car for Christmas. You it owe me be. something new. Uh, so I, I think I there go is, on the, there's I'll, something to that theory, for could, sure. It's because your kids are born in September? I'm born in September. None uh, of my kids are born in by September. By the way, we want to give a huge shout-out to Miss Jerry when we're talking about love. Don't try to say how much we love Miss Jerry. It has nothing to do with you, Miss Jerry. That's right. You've blown it already. I had a long discussion about the meaning of 100% You finally got your ass chewed for something you said. Yeah. Well, no. Here's what I got my ass chewed for. Three dogs now go out at 5 in the morning, oh. when, uh, 5.30 in the morning uh, this morning. And it's hard in the dark to keep a good track of exactly where they're going. And so you stepped in it. No, one of them walked in having stepped in Somebody else. a bunch of it, and I didn't notice it. Mm. And after I feed them, I put them back in bed. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, again, so, sex is going to be 100% mental uh, for a while. 100% mental in the next year. Mike. Well, the, the good news is, is you know, the, it's a new month. Right? That's so, right. That's you know, right. so yeah. the, you know, August quota was met. Uh, real quick, thoughts and prayers for all the people in Florida and Georgia and everybody affected by the hurricane. Um, I think, Jesus, I, I think, I know they. It's bad, but it, you, you dodged a bullet. Uh, it's yeah. Category 4, that 15-mile-an-hour difference in wind when it comes, storm comes ashore. And remember, I worked every one, every name storm for over 20 years. That's that's the difference between your house being blown down and not, but not making it light. And we know people lost their lives. People are, are still without power. It sucks. Uh, um, um, I, I'm thankful for y'all, and, and we're praying for y'all, and, and stay safe. 
Yeah, I mean, it's no mm-hmm. solace to those who are in the track, but right. but the the area made landfall is one of the uh, more sparsely populated right. areas of Florida. So you're not going to have the kind of damage in terms of the billions of dollars that you had in Fort Myers right. when uh, was it? What was that one? Ira? Uh, I forget the name I, of that. Uh, that was just a year ago when Ida. Uh, Ida was it Ida? Well, Ida hit here. Ida hit here. No, it was something else. Uh, I thought Ira. Oh, uh, I, uh, the one that came uh, last year by, by Orlando. Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember that because we were at Mitch's camp. But it, you know, uh, they're saying three hundred thousand people without power right now yeah. across Florida, uh, Georgia, and South Carolina. Well, the, I mean, the one good thing, uh, you know, we don't do politics, but the governor of Florida, you know. Said, "Hey, Ron we won't, we, we won't put up with any looting uh, here, y'all. We understand that, and and the it's it's a real deal. But if you loot after a hurricane, you're an asshole. And and what the governor said was, you might be breaking into a Second Amendment home. And I, you know, we used to have the signs down here that said, you loot, we shoot. That's right. And if you steal a generator because you didn't get prepared." Or you're a crackhead, and you know, some family is running their generator in the middle of the night underneath the AC, and you steal it. You're an asshole. You're Don't do it, people. Leave it alone. There, yes. Those people are yes. suffering yes. enough. Nope. Um, I've got one quick retraction and a mic. Uh, well, not retraction. It's a correction update and a mic story from yesterday that comes to us from Chicago. We when we told the story about the shots being fired inside of Comiskey Park, we didn't know where the shots coming from outside, where the shots coming from inside the park. Well, it turned out that uh, live on the air yesterday on ESPN 1000, and she also posted this to her Twitter account, Peggy Kaczynski, a reporter at ESPN 1000, learned that the person who had the gun was actually in the stadium. She snuck the gun in past the metal detectors by hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. I didn't know that was a thing that was possible. The When it went off, it was inadvertent. I'm sorry. When it went off, it was inadvertent. Total bullshit. Um, are you, which of my sources are you uh, are you taking your shots at here? Because it's taking now it, been I'm confirmed it, by many. It, that's because that lady said that that happened. I mean, there's I, only I, one person that could say that happened, right, and that's, that's the lady, and right, she's lying. Right. She, oh well, I, you I, know, I, she sure, shot her friend. It's okay, but she shot her, still shot her friend by accident, evidently. But the it's, it doesn't happen because oh, because yes, it was course. hidden in a fat roll. Only 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 people kill people. People no, shoot people. It, fat rolls don't shoot it people. It was <laughs> hidden there, but maybe yes, the shot might have been fired by an extra large plate of nachos. I don't know, yeah. but something happened, and that's why she refused medical treatment. Yeah, because. She didn't want to get found out, but she got found out. That's the 26-year-old. Both of these women are teachers My, in I, Chicago public schools. That's not a good look, ladies. I, t- and I, I told Miss Jerry that it, I was going to get you up there and get you acquainted with firearms to my place, and I will, and then you'll understand. People, this is remember what happened to Cheney when he went hunting with uh, Bush? Yeah, he got shot in the face. Yeah, it didn't get shot in the ass too. Well, it was they were dove hunting in South Texas, yeah. and in dove fields, you're only get 
15, 20 yards apart, and you got to watch your line of fire. And I understand that they were having you're gonna, beers. You're going to pull a chain They were having beers. You're going to have me come in here with no, like buckshot no, no, in my no, no, ass. No, no, no. Hey, I take, I take firearms <laughs> more serious than anything hey, in the world. Jim's laughing because Jim's like, yeah. hey, man, if I get a hey, shot and I have an excuse, I mean, yeah. you, 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 may, you may get shot by me, but it won't – But. When I'm training, it'll be just, oh my oops, I'm going to take you out. Mr. You much, heard it. You Mr. heard it. How much here insurance first, we have on him? The yeah. September 1st episode of Real yeah. Life, Real Crime is where the criminals laid out their plan clearly. That hasn't worked for some of these other people who have written in books, things, and stuff yeah. like that, guys. So you might not want to shoot me in the ass that day. Anyway, uh, I don't know that anything is really going to uh, to come of this, but that is how the gun got wow. so that was that was more of an update so that right. would be one of your stories that's, no, no. that's right that's how that works we're all right 10 let's minutes roll in with some crime time y'all all right and we're gonna look right now in in baton rouge louisiana if you're listening in the in our general area this is a big deal and making a ton of news uh a Baton Rouge police officer with a history of abuse complaints resigned Tuesday after two more lawsuits were filed accusing him of excessive force, including one that spurred Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom to order the department to stop using interrogation site while it investigates the newest allegations. Before Tuesday, Troy Lawrence Jr., the son of a BRPD captain, had already been reprimanded and suspended several times with the subject of two lawsuits and was on administrative leave due to complaints from supervisors. But then two new groups of plaintiffs accused him of battering four different people in 90 seconds and beating someone in his custody at what attorneys described as a torture warehouse. Lawrence was placed on uh, paid leave earlier this month, and supervisors sent Police Chief Murphy Paul a letter saying they didn't want him in the unit anymore and that he was not responding to training. Now, that's his own guys. Paul also said he was in termination process prior to Lawrence's resignation. On Tuesday, Broom announced that she directed Paul to suspend all operations at the warehouse facility pending a thorough investigation by the police department. The severity of these allegations deeply concern me, especially given the potential impact on the trust our community places in us, uh, she was quoted as saying. Now, officials said Tuesday an internal affairs investigation into the incident was underway, and the warehouse in question was a narcotics processing facility that had been in use for about 20 years to process thousands of suspects, drugs, and other evidence. I would like to assure this community there's nothing more secretive about this narcotic processing facility. Uh, this from Administrative Chief Myron Daniels. Paul said the use of the facility would be suspended. In a lawsuit, a 21-year-old man identified as Jeremy Lee accused Lawrence of taking him into custody without reasonable suspicion or probable cause, placing him in the back of a BRPD vehicle before taking him to the warehouse where he proceeded to beat him so badly that Lee was left with fractured ribs and other visible injuries. Lawrence arrived at the scene of a drug-related call on Cadillac Street in Baton Rouge on January 9th and began discussing possible evidence with another officer while periodically turning the audio and footage of his body camera on and off. He then approached the police car Lee was sitting in, began to swear at him, and push him. Both officers at the, at the scene repeatedly accused Mr. Lee of resisting. 
Despite Lee's compliance with the officers, the men handcuffed him, forced him down in the middle of a paved street, pulled his pants down to search him. While Lee was on the ground, Lawrence told him that he was about to beat the living shit out of him. When Lee asked the officers why he was being arrested, they refused to give him a reason. After going back and forth with onlookers for several minutes, Lawrence sensed a sudden change in mood from the crowd, decided to put Lee in a vehicle and transport him to not the police station, but to a torture warehouse known as, to the BRPD staff as a brave cave. Paul and his administration uh, said at Tuesday's press conference they had never heard of a brave cave. However, shows you what kind of leader he is. Yeah, and and it, there's actually uh, some uh, footage back and forth of the officers talking to each other I'll, on their uh, I'll explain CBs. It. I'll explain it to you in a minute. And he actually says, "Where are you bringing him to the brave cave?" Right. right. Uh, so, so how the chief of police couldn't know that is, yeah. it, you know, that's bullshit. He was then taken to a separate warehouse room by Lawrence Wallace and a third officer where they began to repeatedly kick and punch Lee as he screamed for help. The officers had their body cameras turned off during the incident. And when subpoenaed, BRPD was unable to provide camera footage from the warehouse saying no footage existed. Lee's injuries were so severe, the local jail refused to admit him until he was treated at a local hospital. He was treated at a local hospital for a fractured left rib, chest pain, facial pain, and difficulty breathing. And he was ultimately booked into uh, jail on two counts of battery of a police officer mm-hmm. and one count of resisting arrest. So when they started digging into that incident, do you have something to say? I'm just, is that page five you're getting into? That's that three. Three? Okay. This is the third page. You, this is like typical of every time. story this. you do. <laughs> so I know you're not used to it. A second federal lawsuit filed Monday alleges that Lawrence used profanity and excessive force while intervening in an argument outside of a hospital on October 8th, 2022, resulting in the arrest of two people. A man who had been shot by BRPD was taken to the hospital where an argument among his family members broke out. Two plaintiffs allege Lawrence overheard the argument and immediately began cursing as he ordered them to disperse. He then grabbed one of them by the wrist and said, what you going to do before pushing both men into the police vehicle on each side, telling them to get in the fucking car. Once seated in the car, Sanders couldn't close the door. So he grabbed Sanders neck, shoving him into the car, slamming the door shut he then grabbed a third person who was not posing a threat for a few seconds later. Uh, and then it goes into several other incidents mm-hmm. with this same uh, police officer whose yeah. who's so, dad is a, is a me, captain. Let me tell you the comments on that. that I, I can't attest to the allegations of, of violence and all that. The But Brave Caves and... Pretty much every department has a, a secret spot that, mm-hmm. where they would take narcotics people to be processed, and there's a reason for that. Even Louisiana State Police narcotics units are separate from then the, the the regular troops and stuff. And I would tell you because a lot of times when you make these narcotics arrests, you want to bring them to a secret place where other people can't see them and try to get them to flip. So that, and if they flip and they give up evidence and you you write your search warrant there and you go get it signed by a judge and you can release them back out, 
that hopefully nobody's knowing they're they're a snitch, right, or a rat. But you 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 use an off-site location that which isn't owned by the is owned by the police department, a se- kind of secret place to try and, and get that information out of, and, and then you can turn them into a working CI. And you you don't want people on the street, and they don't want people on the street yeah. to know if, if they comply. Now. The, them charging a guy with a battery on a police officer and all that after they kick the shit out of him, what are they going to do, right? They, yeah. they, the pen is mightier and the sword, but, but where back in my day, we didn't have the cameras um, that where they effed up is turning off the cameras. All right. And that, and look, they've got the, this particular officer, they've got cell phone video from just yeah, people. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not and, an and, yeah. and he's punching people in the yeah. stomach trying to get them in a police car in front of God and everybody. His own his own people that worked yeah, in his unit don't get, did I, not I want him in there. You know, That's how bad he was. A, he's the kind of guy that gives everybody uh, um, uh, every good cop a bad name. Right. Right. So we'll keep you updated on this because this is, this is really big news, and especially in this area, which is a large portion of our audience. Yeah, so. very interesting story. We'll Keep y'all updated on that story. um, Crazy, crazy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let me take you to North Carolina. Now, you don't really hear about these type of stories that often. But a North Carolina woman who was reported as missing now faces multiple charges after she allegedly orchestrated a false report about her own murder. Maggie Sweeney, what's that the guy from? Oh, that was South Carolina. Maggie Sweeney was arrested on August 21st, 2023. A 37-year-old was charged with causing a false report to a police station, false report of death or serious injury by telephonic communication, and obstructing law enforcement officers. Sweeney was reported missing on August 18th, was but was found safe the following day after a search. Police said the information they got initially led them to believe she was endangered or dead. Sweeney sent anonymous messages to the Department of Social Services and one of her friends reporting her alleged murder, settling alarms. I'm sorry, setting alarms for those for the city of Franklin, North Carolina, and those close to her. She used an app to conceal her identity as she sent text messages to authorities and her friend claiming that she was either in danger of being killed or beaten to death with a tire iron. Immediately after becoming aware of the woman's plight, police posted pictures of the woman, woman listing her age, size, and other identifiers to attempt to engage the public in the search for her. Law enforcement exhausted 75 hours looking for her. Sweeney's host comes a month after Carly Russell, an Alabama woman, created a false mm. narrative of being kidnapped. And you knew this was coming, right? It also comes after a preteen performing a copycat version of Russell's crime. The child was charged with a felony of making a false police report concerning the use of firearm in a violent manner and a misdemeanor of misuse of 911. The weapon seems to be the only difference between Sweeney and the young students' cases. Copycats. Total copycats. And, and, and we're going to show you all the, 
the the picture and, and put this up on TikTok. The uh, that you know it's, it's a little bit off subject, but, but when we talk about these mass shootings and stuff, that's why I don't like to talk about the 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 the, the, dis- the, yeah. the, the stupid ass name that does the shooting. Or really, if, if we didn't have to report it because it was real life and real crime, I wouldn't even report it because so many of these people do copycats, right? And so. you know, not to profile anybody, but uh, a lot of these people do not look like. What, you know, they're they're people that if you look at them, right, you would think right. they were normal people. Well, they they look they, like normal they, people. They, and I used to get that a lot, but then they were like, oh, they don't, they don't even look like a murderer. Yeah. But what does a murderer look like? What is right. a, a person? I mean, I don't know what her motive was for, for doing this, attention-seeking or whatever, but the uh, certainly shows that um, it goes across all race lines. Carla Russell was an um, African-American female, and this lady is, is, is a Caucasian. Well, well and we had the lady yesterday in Dumb Criminals that was from Sioux City. That, that's right. Uh, that's that, right. That's right. Uh, that lied and, about uh, uh, about being a you know accosted and raped. Right. right. So uh, I don't know why the news picks up one and doesn't on the other. The, uh, I mean, this is the same thing. They they exhausted seventy five hours and they think she's been murdered. Well, but I would think now that this has kind of become a thing. And we saw in that case yesterday that that woman's being charged like $17,000 mm-hmm. uh, of the city's expense here, 75 hours. That's going to add up to a, that's way more than one cop working. It. That's, that's going to add up 20 to a cops working big it. tally. And yeah. if I don't know uh, if that's been fought anywhere or that's, you know, absolutely they'll, the, fi- they'll uh, figure it out law, but, but that would be the deterrent for these people is if you get caught, you're going to get charged back for the, yeah. the time law enforcement spent investigating whatever the heck. It's, still, it, it, it's, it's nothing is, is an deterrent or, deterrent or we wouldn't have crime, but that they will be held accountable. And, mm-hmm. and maybe one person might be like, mm, I'm not about to pay $100,000 for that. Yeah. Makes you wonder how much a role social media plays. I, a shit time. You know, I, I, did, I had so many cases back in the day that were like this, and, and people are just dying for attention, man. It turned out to be bullshit, and we didn't have social media. Yeah, yeah, but so it never got reported. But I, I believe social media plays a huge role in this copycat stuff. Yeah. Well, and tie that with the lack of aggressive enforcement of misdemeanors and lower level crimes. Some of these people are thinking, hey, I do this thing. I'm right. going to get noticed. Get I can famous. parlay that yeah. into some fame right. and uh, and yeah. perhaps even yeah. a career. So, yeah, so that, you're right. That's, an, that's another motive. I think it's getting some cold water poured on it uh, now, thankfully. I know from past discussions, you do not consider yourself a baseball fan. No, nope. I got. I've been to um, Wrigley Field the year they won the series, and I've been a, a, an Astros game stuff like that. But not, I don't follow it regularly. And nor does Jim. Jim's no, I like, I like bigger it. baseball okay. than me. I, I like old baseball. Yeah. Anything eighty about eighty nine and before. Yeah. Ronald Acuna Jr. No idea. Really? Never heard of him. Really? Never heard of him. God, one of the most exciting young players in the game, plays for the Braves. Fernando uh, Valenzuela. Great outfielder. Uh, yes. Mark McGuire. Yes, very good. <laughs> you guys are absolutely dating yourself. Well, Sammy Sosa. he was playing Sammy along Sosa. with the Braves on Monday night in Denver out at Coors Field. And a couple of guys, Jefferson Gonzalez Marita, age 23, and Carlos Ravello Pais, age 21, 
decided it would be fun to leave their stands, their seats in the stands. They probably were a few Coors Lights or, you know, maybe more than a few uh, into their evening when they made that decision. But they leaped the fence and went running toward uh, Mr. Acuna, and they were able to reach him. In fact, they were able to get him on the ground. One fan had his phone out, presumably trying to take a picture with Acuna, and a security guard rushed in and grabbed the fan who would not let go of Acuna. That was when another fan ran onto the field to do the exact same thing, and things went crazy. The second fan's arrival caused more security guards to get involved, which ultimately led to Acuna hitting the deck, tripping over one of the security guards on the ground behind him. The Braves' bullpen catcher and other players ran onto the field at that point to check on their teammate, and security then apprehended the fans. The second fan was also barking something at the outfielder, and he was putting up a fight as multiple security guards wrestled him to the field. The Braves eventually won the game. This had me wondering, what are considered the greatest moments of fans coming onto a field? I always wanted to run naked across the field. And And it's how you're saying After a little research, Bleacher Report has a great list of the 50 greatest all-time situations where fans came running onto the field. And I'm just going to give you three of them real quick and one that uh, we'll post a video on. Number three is the famous band on the field, Cal versus Stanford game. I don't know if you guys remember Mm -hmm. that. Last play of the game, a kickoff to Cal, and the Stanford band is ready to march onto the field. They believe the player has been tackled and the play is over, but he hasn't. He is lateraled, and as several more laterals take place and Cal advances the ball down the field, the uh, Stanford band is already at like the 30, 40-yard line. And so uh, guys uh, playing the uh, saxophone and the trumpet and whatever else are getting rolled over by football That's players as Cal gets into the end zone, scores, and actually wins the game on wow. that play. There's a famous play, which is number two on their list, where Brett Favre, local legend Brett Favre, is playing against the Cincinnati Bengals, and he doesn't realize it. He's going back to pass, and the uh, the play is blown dead by the officials, but everything is in front of him, and he has no idea why the play is has been uh, blown dead, and in that moment, a fan runs up from behind him. So they were charging from the other side, grabs the ball from Favre. So he steals the ball That's from Favre funny. and runs in the other direction. That's, and uh, you going directly to jail and gets tackled. <laughs> gets tackled pretty violently in that one. But the greatest one of all time. Uh, and was there ever any doubt where this would happen? It could only have happened in. Philadelphia, where uh, we have the greatest sports fans in the world, not. Um, This was a Philadelphia Flyers game where a Toronto Maple Leafs player by the name of Ty Domi was a great player in the NHL for years. Of course, you guys don't know Ty Domi. A little too hot down here for hockey. Domi was sitting in the penalty box, and he was getting the business from all of the Philadelphia Flyers fans all around him while he was in the penalty box or screaming, cursing at him and doing all that kind of stuff that Philly fans love to do. Domi decided that he would take his water bottle and take some shots at some of these fans that were doing it. One particularly obnoxious fan, a guy by the name of Chris Falcone, charged so fast and hard at the glass to the penalty box that he fell into the penalty box. 
where Ty Domi abruptly grabbed him and beat the living shit out of him. Right. And so you have a Philadelphia fan breaking into the penalty box and then Domi pounding on him um, for a little justice against Philadelphia sports fans. So those would be the top I, three. I got, I got two real quick ones. Uh, the Bluegrass Miracle, LSU, mm, Kentucky yes. in the mid-'90s. Last play of the game, L- LSU, the, the, the Kentucky, Kentucky thought they had won. And like the time's running out and everything, and all the fans rushed the field, and LSU threw the the deep ball for the touchdown and won. So the fans were in the field, and then I'll take you back to 1987, Central Private versus whoever it was. It was a high school football game, and the guy on the opposite team from Central Private breaks one and is running like 80 yards. Uh, touchdown down the sideline, and a guy named Jimmy Borsky, who's a good friend of mine, a local legend, you hear the announcer calling it. Jimmy Borsky sticks out his foot from the sideline and trips him. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Borsky from the sideline. It's actually on YouTube. Borsky from the sideline. I didn't see that one on the list. I yeah. did see the LSU one. By the way, yesterday also saw these new jerseys that LSU is breaking out. I hadn't seen them. Oh, man, they are the bad. I yeah. mean, they I, are. They I can't are wait to watch the hype video right. they do every year. Yeah. Let's get back to the crime. All right. All right. So, Go look, we bring you all kinds of crime here on right. Real Life, Real Crime Daily. And an Indiana man was arrested Wednesday night for driving a Power Wheels Jeep uh, <laughs> under the influence of. Of narcotics. There you go. Imagine that. That's right. An Indiana State police trooper was patrolling in a southwestern Indiana town near the Illinois border around 9 p.m. when they saw someone driving a battery-operated Power Wheels Jeep with no lights or reflectors. <laughs> the report. The original electric sure vehicle. that's not Pinellas County? The, the, the original electric vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> The report added that the toy car, which has a top speed of five miles per hour, (laughs) was difficult to see. The trooper stopped the vehicle, after which the driver of the children's toy was identified as 51-year-old John McKee. It's not known how McKee became in possession of the small truck. Power Wheels Jeeps are recommended for ages 37 and have a 130-pound weight limit. Oh, my God. This, according to Mattel. So, McKee showed signs of impairment, and he failed several sobriety tests, later testing at the hospital. Uh, That revealed that he was under the influence of methamphetamine and marijuana. Imagine that. He probably thought he was going 50 in that thing. He thought his hair was on fire. Oh, (laughs) yeah. This is a bad motherfucker. (laughs) He was arrested and charged with operating a vehicle while intoxicated. State police also said McKee was previously convicted for operating an actual vehicle while impaired. This was not his first rodeo. And you may be surprised to know that McKee is not alone in getting pulled over while driving driving power wheels. A South Carolina woman was pulled over while driving one and arrested for public intoxication in 2019. And a few years before that, a Texas State University student who had her license suspended after getting a DWI went viral for driving a pink Barbie Jeep around campus. That sounds like you need some banjo. When you're under the influence, don't drive your power wheels, peeps. Sounds like right. Sounds like oh, it yeah. is. I wonder if they impounded the power. Right. I guess it would have had. What do you tell the guy that says, "What are you in for?" Yeah, exactly. Driving, driving a, oh, a power wheel. Yeah. Power yeah. wheel. 
He probably thought he was going 90. I mean, uh, for, for hitting that glass. He'd never catch me. So sucking on that glass dick and driving a power wheel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all, let's take you. I, you know, I love a little street justice, right? And the only thing I love more is prison justice. But let's come back to our great state of Louisiana. Um, a Louisiana taxi driver turned the tables on an armed man who allegedly tried to rob him early Monday morning. Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office, y'all, that's everything that surrounds New Orleans all the way down to Grand Isle, said an unidentified taxi driver in Metairie, was in his cab before 1 a.m. on Monday when a suspect armed with a handgun demanded money from the cabbie. The cab driver had his own firearm and shot the suspect multiple times. The suspect, later identified as 23-year-old Gerald Pope, was pronounced dead at the scene. Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office said the cabbie is not facing charges and classify the fatal shooting as justifiable homicide. The driver was presented with a threat to his life. And the spokesman added that Pope was likely the suspect behind two previous robberies of cab drivers the week before his death. Authorities said Pope matches the description of a man who robbed a cab driver the day before the shooting at about 3 p.m. and another cabbie the week prior. The three cab drivers targeted work for the uh, yeah the the ones that were robbed y'all uh, worked for the same company and neighboring New Orleans suffered a staggering increase in crimes last year, including twenty percent increase in armed robberies compared to twenty nineteen, and one hundred fifty six percent increase in carjackings compared to twenty nineteen. Yeah. So the um, you know fuck, met- fuck him. Hey, yeah. how many cabs do you actually think are still running? I see a lot in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, surprising considering and, and how, how much Uber, what, how and, many and, and, people Uber and, now. And, and let me ask you this: How much money do you think a fucking cab driver has? I mean, uh, even cabs have where you swipe now, right? The, and so this guy was was never even going to make it to Angola to be a fine trustee. He wasn't that intelligent. He'd be he would have been in the field the rest of his life anyway. I'm talking about the dead guy, mm-hmm. but. If you're going to rob somebody, aspire to rob somebody to get some more money. That's right. Yeah. He's lucky that wasn't Mr. T on DC Cab. Remember <laughs> yeah, right. that? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> okay. Here what? comes a long one. No, it's not. It's not particularly. <laughs> Whatever you hear, we, breath. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time for that. Something else sucked all the air out of the show. Oh, yeah. Um, An actual interesting story. Not so much. Uh, but we're back in D.C., and we're back with people that are underage. A girl 16 has been charged with second-degree murder in the stabbing death of another 16-year-old female, outside of a McDonald's in what authorities said was a dispute over sweet and sour sauce. Police responded early Sunday morning to a report of a juvenile at a hospital who was being treated for stab wounds. The teen later identified as Naima Lagan of Waldorf, Maryland, succumbed to her injuries, police said. According to police, the fatal stabbing occurred outside of a McDonald's in the 1900 block of 14th Street Northwest. Lagone was taken to the hospital in a privately owned vehicle. Metro Police also announced the arrest of a 16-year-old female, also from Waldorf. She was charged with second-degree murder while armed. Authorities said that a knife was found in the possession of the subject when she was arrested. D.C. Superior Court hearing on Monday 
Detective Brendan Jasper testified that the fatal stabbing originated from a dispute over sweet and sour sauce among three girls outside of the restaurant. He added in his testimony that Lagan and another girl began assaulting the 16-year-old girl who, based on surveillance footage, didn't appear to be fighting back at first. As Lagan and the other girl were about to get into a vehicle, Jasper claimed the 16-year-old girl approached Lagan with a seven and a half inch pocket knife, stabbing her in the abdomen and chest. Prosecutors said that the 16-year-old suspect was located a block away, so she managed to walk a block in that condition. Lagone and the suspect were part of a group who drove to a party at 15th Street Northwest in D.C. from Oxon Hill, Maryland. Following the party, the teens went to McDonald's, according to the authorities. An attorney representing the suspect said that the client acted in self-defense adding that the suspect had no prior criminal history. Superior Court Judge Sherry Beatty Arthur called the juvenile suspect to be held until a new hearing on Friday. The judge said at the end of the day, someone is dead over a dispute over sauce. Joy Lagone, the mother of Naima Lagone, called the incident senseless, telling WTOP Radio, I can't understand how any type of fight, whether it's over sweet and sour sauce or any other topic, could result in murder. She was beautiful, smart. She was funny, unique. She loved life, and now she's dead. Uh, Sweet and sour sauce. I don't get that. Uh, I like the spicy mustard myself. All right. I don't even know what you put that on. You put that on chicken nuggets? Nuggets, yeah. yeah. D.C. All right, a man is arrested months after finding a bag full of $5,000 in cash in a parking lot. Hmm. Let me tell you hey, about this one. Keepers, losers, uh, that's what I thought, too, Woody Everton, but then I checked out the news story. Oh, here we go. A Connecticut man says he felt like he won the lottery when he discovered a bag with nearly $5,000 in cash lying in a parking lot, so he decided to keep it. Mm-hmm. Three months later, he's been charged with larceny. Mm. That's right. Turns out the bag, which Trumbull police said was clearly marked with a bag's insi- uh, bank insignia, was found outside the same bank <laughs> and contained cash from the town's tax department. There were also numerous documents inside identifying the rightful owner of the cash as the town of Trumbull. That would be different. Yeah, that's a, that kind of changes the game a little bit. Except Trumbull doesn't need the money. It, it would be like finding a wallet, and inside that wallet you have an ID and a $100 cash. And, yeah. you, you know, I mean, if you have a way to, to find the enter. But anyway, the man, Robert Whittington, 56, of Trumbull, contends he didn't steal the money and didn't notice anything inside the bag that would indicate who the owner was. It's not like this was playing out, Whittington said. Everything was in the moment, and it was like I hit the lottery. That was it. The money went missing uh, at, in an, from an employee in the Trumbull tax collector's office when they went to make a bank deposit and couldn't find the bag after arriving at the bank during regular business hours. Over the next several months, detectives obtained search warrants, reviewed multiple surveillance videos from local businesses, uh, and... Then they eventually learned the bag had been inadvertently dropped on the ground outside the bank, and Whittington had picked it up. So apparently they finally came across the right video. Yeah, Trumbull stated, I walked out in the parking lot, saw something on the ground, and there was no one around, so I picked it up. Uh, He said, I walked uh, walked back and got my car and took off, and it's not like I stole anything. That's exactly what he said, direct quote there. 
Uh, if I knew I was wrong in the first place, I would have given it right back. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. When police interviewed Whittington, they said he acknowledged being at the bank and taking the bag. He told them he believed he had no obligation to return the bag to the rightful owner. Uh, Whittington, who owns a who runs and owns a dog training business, said he has never had a criminal record and his customers can vouch for his integrity. Anyone who knows me knows I'm all about generosity. After living in this town for 20 years, I'm not looking for trouble. So what do, yeah. y'all, what do you think I think that, that? That, that, you know, really? They're never going to prosecute him for it. I mean, they're going to. They arrest him for it. Doesn't mean he's going to get convicted for it. Even when you open it up and the, and there's documents and whatever inside the bag, there's no law that says if you find something on the ground that you got to return it. Yeah, so, um, it, it did happen to me one time. Come back from bureau's fishing, and I, I dropped my wallet with my commission in it and my badge in it. Oh and, lord! And a couple hundred bucks. You get what kind and of guess, trouble you get in for losing? I don't your know. I wasn't telling anybody. <laughs> I wasn't telling anybody. But listen, what happened? Well, if I could mail it back to me, minus the money, which I didn't care. Uh, I, yeah, at least I you like, mailed it. I don't want to report this. Because he yeah. could turn it up and they could be. Well, and he could have found it. Somebody could have stole the yeah, money, yeah, thrown yeah, it back yeah, down, and yeah. he could have found it with no money in it. So no, I, I, mean, I don't think they, I mean, eh, you know, the dude probably should have done the honorable thing and turned it in, but I don't know. They, if they had had cameras. Yeah, never the problem it. is cameras are everywhere now. Uh, if yeah, that were me, Chapman I'd be says, like, I'd be I'd like, the second I keep this money, I'm gonna be all over the. News. I'd be looking for cameras. Be all over real life, real crime right, daily. Your right, first right, move is right. to do a 360 scan to see if you're in view of any camera. All right, y'all. So I'm gonna take you to Iowa. You ever been to Iowa? I have. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool people up there. So in Iowa. Willard Miller, 17, and another teen, Jeremy Goodale, 18, pleaded guilty back in April for the first-degree murder and the death of the Spanish teacher, Nohima Graver, 66, who was a mother of three. On November 2, 2021, Miller met with Graver at Fairfield High School to discuss his grade, which he said was harming his overall GPA. Later that day, Grabber drove her van to the nearby Chattaqua Park, where she went for daily afternoon walks. Prosecutors alleged Miller and Goodell, who were both 16 at the time, stalked her and learned her daily routines and then ambushed her at the park. Less than an hour later, witnesses saw the van leaving the park with two males in the front seat. The following day, Grabber's body was found in the park under a tarp a wheelbarrow, and railroad ties. So they piled all that shit on top of her after they killed her. And when authorities said the teens had dragged her body and hidden it, right? Grabber's van was abandoned on a desolate road. The teens used to walk back to the town. Um, she suffered inflicted trauma to her head. And Miller initially said he had nothing to do with his teacher's disappearance, saying later that he knew about it but did not participate. Goodale told authorities Miller first struck Grabber with the bat and that he was the lookout. Goodale said he struck her with the bat after the first hit failed to kill her. Miller was in the court this week for a sentencing hearing, and I find that your intent and actions were sinister and evil, District Court Judge Sean Sauer said while sentencing Miller. Those acts resulted in intentional loss of human life in a brutal fashion. There is no excuse. In both 
Miller and Goodell were charged first-degree murder cons- and conspiracy to commit forceful felony, and the teens were set to be tried as adult. As part of the plea agreements, prosecutors recommended 30 years of life in prison with the possibility of parole from Miller. Goodell is scheduled to be sentenced later this year, and they recommend he get 25 years and he'll be eligible for parole afterwards. Uh, Judge Showers ultimately sentenced Miller to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 35 years. So can you imagine they killed their Spanish teacher? Over grades. I, I, I mean, uh, talk about the all-time weakest motive I mean, for just, a crime. I mean, that's just You're, pitiful to take away a mom of three. It's, it's so, becoming very common, too, with really? these teachers. But you, th- yeah. you think about anybody who is conscientious enough to be worrying about their grades and where their GPA is. Yeah. That's somebody who's thinking right. about going to college and thinking right. about doing something right. with, uh, with their lives. For that same kind of person thinking about those kind of things— yeah. To think, well, I know if I get rid of her, if, just if hit, hit her in the head with a bat. But you know what? That's that's still not going to change your fucking grades. It's on computers. And back in my day, I could have at least went in and, and whited it out and, and changed the grade. He killed her for nothing. I mean, if you know what he should have done is this should be a shameless plug because it's a murder story. But he should have used Rosetta Stone code RRC. <laughs> that would have helped a lot. Um, maybe yeah. a teacher conference to try and. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do some extra uh, that, homework that, that or something. That lady and her kids is horrible. Uh, and, and killing your teacher, they should go to prison for the rest of their life. Yes, Agreed. they should. Back to Florida, Vero Beach, which is in Indian River County, Florida. According to a statement from the Indian River County Sheriff's Office, detectives have arrested a guy by the name of Joseph Napier, who's from Vero Beach. Napier, who is a cook, reportedly called 911 in May of 2021 to report an unresponsive two-month-old, the statement said. Mm. Once deputies arrived at the scene, they saw that the child was turning blue and immediately transported her to an ambulance. Unfortunately, the child died. Napier initially told detectives that he had left the infant with his 18-month-old daughter for about 10 minutes And when he returned to the room, he realized the two-month-old was choking, the statement said. I don't know who leaves an infant with an 18-month-old. But he also reportedly said that he saw, quote, a small white object lodged deep in the infant's mouth and waited about five minutes before calling 911. Okay. Officers say they determined this this was false information and that he allegedly spent 30 minutes on his phone during that time window. An examination conducted on the child revealed uh, a baby wipe was stuck deep in her throat, which the statement said resulted in complete airway uh, obstruction. Officers alleged that Napier was the only person who could have placed the baby wipe in the infant's throat. On Thursday, more than two years after the child's death, officers finally arrested and charged Napier with manslaughter. He's being held on bond of $750,000. It's unclear why the investigation took two years when it seems pretty obvious. Napier, who boasts two tattoos titled corrupt on his left arm, has a lengthy history of arrests going back more than a decade. His arraignment 
will be set on October 13th. Why he killed his baby Hashtag with a baby wife. Murder I by no freaking go to hell. Hashtag murder by He's you. going there. I don't know why it took them so long to get a case built to take him there. Hey, let, let me say something real quick. The um, then having flashbacks when we talked about the stories. You know, every baby death has to be investigated, and and a lot of what these call SIDS or crib death or et cetera. And I've never the hardest thing I think I ever had to do, way harder than telling people their family members are dead, was um, go to the hospital emergency room and take an infant baby from a mama that mm. was that was deceased because <clears throat> it's, it's the autopsy and everything yeah. still had to be done. Uh, That's tough shit. Had to be. I hate hate that. You can now take off that belt and move freely around the cabin. That's right. We are down to another mile high crime for today. Mile high. And a Georgia woman has thrown a stun gun and got into a fight with an Assumption Parish Sheriff's deputy after a dispute with a cab driver who had just taken her from the New Orleans airport nearly 60 miles away. Now, when a when deputies approached Janae Black, she was holding a stun gun and testing it. Hmm. Black threw the stun gun oh, at deputies when they ordered her to drop it. And when deputies confronted her, the incident turned physical. I'm sure it did. That's right. That's this is according to the pee. sheriff's office. Yeah, yeah freeze plus be fix that right. real quick. Deputies did not say whether Black or the officer sustained any injuries in the altercation. The cabbie had originally called the sheriff's office about the woman uh, who, after she had refused to pay the cab fare after being brought to Labadeeville oh, from Lewis that's a, that's International a ways, Airport. Right? Yeah, so Labadeeville is, you know, about 58 miles right, roughly right, from right, the right, airport. Right. That's quite the cab thing. Right. And so she basically pulled up and said she wasn't going to. I don't know what her reasoning is for not wanting yeah. to pay the cab fare, but yeah. uh, she yanks out stun guns and and it got bad. Uh, Black, who is from Georgia, was booked on two counts of resisting arrest and a single count of aggravated assault of a peace officer and disturbing the peace. And you never think about that with airports and the altercations mm-hmm. that, that take place between you know cabbies yeah. and I had and one. Folks. That, uh, Dude had no intention of paying. It gets the cab from New Orleans to Albany here in Livingston Parish. And he gets out and he says, this is my mama's house. I got to go in and get the money. And he hauled ass, right? Mm. And I knew who he was when the cabbie called. I didn't know how to get, <laughs> uh, awesome. drag him out of his house. Yeah. Yeah. It's another kinky crime. Kinky crime time. All kinky crime time for Friday. Look, Friday, you got to have a kinky one. You got to have it. You got to have it. You got to have it. Something to get you through the weekend. I'll take you to Tennessee, where I used to live. A Tennessee woman accused of flashing inmates while in the parking lot of the Washington County, Tennessee Detention Center was arrested. Imagine that. Yeah. So Washington County Sheriff Keith Saxon. Oh, his name is Sexton. Said deputies charged 28 year old Elizabeth Leah Laster of Knoxville with indecent exposure after she was discovered in the parking lot exposing herself to inmates. Wow. I mean, you got to have a. She likes some bad boys. Everybody's got to have a hobby, right? So (laughs) deputies observed Laster beside her vehicle exposing various body parts in the direction of the jail. Mm. Laster was then taken into custody. 
Lester told deputies that she came to the jail to visit her ex-boyfriend, who was an inmate at the facility, and her ass was booked in jail for being kinky. Look, and we're right? gonna post her. Uh, we're gonna post her picture on the on the page because she's got some crazy looking eyes. She's yeah, got she's, the she's, same eyes that girl. She's got yes, the kinky, that kinky eyes. That's got that, that yeah. again. The glass dick eyes. That yeah, sucking on that meth pipe too long. Yeah. She likes some bad boys. Yeah, yeah that was a kinky. Didn't get no beads. That's right. The first thing you need to check out is those eyes. I mean, that, they, that guy they, wouldn't have gotten. They need to check out all the, the duct walls, and, walls and underneath the windows in the jail for, for hunks of semen. That's right. <laughs> that is scary. That's right. There we go. Banjo time. Well, I don't know if they're big on banjos in this type, in this part of the world, but um, today's Dumb Criminals episode is actually going to be a Dumb Terrorists episode. Oh, are you? During the height of the war in Afghanistan, Mohammed Ashan, a mid-to-low-level Taliban commander, was wanted for organizing attacks on U.S. and Afghan troops in the east of the country. Ashan shocked everyone. When he walked up one day in 2012 to a police checkpoint and pointed straight toward a wanted poster with his picture on it. <laughs> the troops moved in quickly and arrested Ashan. Hours later, from his holding cell, he asked to speak to a commanding officer. When the ranking officer appeared at his cell, he asked for the $100 finder's fee for his capture. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. The authorities were at a loss to explain his actions, although one U.S. official reportedly told journalists, quote, this man is an imbecile. <laughs> I would agree. Banjos. He has to be. If we had a dumb criminal list, that has to be one of the dumbest. Well, it, you know. Arrest me. Now give me the reward. I'm telling you, that's crazy. <laughs> All right, we're gonna bring. Look, I don't have a, I don't have a tone for this yet, but we're gonna bring you another episode of Super Cops, Super Cops. and we're gonna tell you about a rookie Marietta police officer by the name of Austin Martin, and this is Marietta, Georgia, y'all. A Marietta police officer who has been on the force less than a year saved a woman's life who was contemplating suicide. The woman climbed over the fence of a high overpass on Interstate 75, and Marietta police officer Austin Martin was one of the first on the scene. He calmly approached her. He said, I'm Austin. Talk to me. What's going on? You can hear this on the body camera video. He makes a connection with her, and soon she will only talk to him. She doesn't want anybody else around. Yeah. Suddenly, he's faced with this life-or-death situation that he has to resolve. While fellow officer Joe Sibley was on the radio coordinating the shutdown of the interstate and getting extra crews in place, Officer Martin talks to the woman for almost an hour. Wow. As the woman is holding on to the chain link fence, Officer Martin laces his fingers over hers and holds on just as she passes out. And you can actually right. see that on the body camera video. Other officers rush in and grab onto pieces of her clothing. They hold on tight. They keep her from falling on the interstate below. No one breathes as Cobb's County Fire ladder truck moves into position, and the woman is safely lowered to the ground. Officer Martin 
has been on the police department in Marietta for less than a year, but knew exactly what to do in uh, this situation during this crisis to save this woman. You can't teach that. That's right. Go officer Martin. I wasn't done. (laughs) What an amazing thing it is to be able to say as part of your job, you were put in a place that you were able to be there for another human being and help this from the officer and we salute you rookie marietta police yeah. officer austin Moore. Uh, my prediction is not pain for him my prediction for him right. he'll be making the detective soon and everything else great Shout cops like that super all over cop. the world That's super right. cops is more cop them. good than bad That's super right. cops and we're always going to end up with a good note like that love. That's love. anything else any final notes um thoughts Everybody enjoy college football this weekend. Prayers for yes. people that are recovering from the storm. Yes. And I'm going to bless you boys with some Cajun caviar. And you don't know what it is, so don't ask. I mean, you, you can have it for Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, just to let everybody know, we will have an episode dropping on Monday, That's even right. though it's Labor Day. Hey, That's right. no rest for the weary. That's Over right. Here in real life, real crime, daily land. Hard so. work pays off. That's right. Do a job, big or small, do it right or not at all. I love it. <laughs> Live for your die. Live for your die. Ago, <laughs> hey, you got anything? No. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ourrescue.org. If you want to get in the fight uh, to help end human trafficking worldwide, check them out. And until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Your host of Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Peace. Monica Lara. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.